Welcome to another episode of Out From The Cube. But before we get started on our next episode, I wanted to make sure to thank our sponsor. Polaris Solutions has supported our podcast for the past two years and has been a part of some of the discussions in those episodes. And it was easy for me to support them the past couple of years because I actually worked for them. This past year, I changed jobs, but it is still very easy for me to continue to support them because of the work they are doing to put businesses and products in the best position possible. If you are working on a product or needing to modernize an existing product or looking to get a solution up to the cloud, Polaris is the company that you should start with. They are top-level technical company that is run by amazing people that I am happy to continue to call my friends. You need to start and stop your technical shopping by going to PolarisSolutions.com, getting connected with them, and making sure that you get all your questions answered. Uh, appreciate the support that they continue to give to our podcast, and please reach out to them and get all your technical questions answered. Now, we'll go on to our episode. I can t- uh, will thank you for the support that you have given to the podcast, and l- hope that you enjoy this next episode of Out From The Cube. All right, we're live again on LinkedIn with our Out From The Cube Work From Home editions. We are actually, I think, I think I, I was off last week. For those that have been watching, I did have some people reach out to me wondering where I was last week. I was in an all-day online training uh, for my uh, job, and so wasn't able to, uh, had some people lined up that I actually had to cancel on, and uh, so that's where I was last week. So it's good to get back in the swing, a little running a little late today. And had a cancellation today, actually, this morning, and just reached out to some people that I really admire and look up to, probably three or four of them. Uh, There's more than that, but uh, I reached out to three or four specifically. And Tony, uh, I I got to know Tony about 14 months ago. I looked it up. You were on my podcast, I want to say episode 76, about 14 or 15 months ago in February. And so I reached out to Tony. Tony quickly sent me a note and said he was available. And um, I, I appreciate it, Tony. I, I appreciate the quick turnaround and being available and wanting to come on and spend, uh, spend some more time with me. I really appreciate it. Hey, George. Thanks for reaching out, man. It's always good to catch up. And I can't believe it's been 15 months. That's crazy yeah. how things have gone by so fast. Yeah. No, they have. And actually, um, one, one of the reasons I reached out to you, and I mentioned this briefly offline uh, before we clicked record, is that um, I follow all your content. And I'm not suggesting I have fallen your whole career because I know you spent a, a fair amount of time in the oil industry. You're down in Houston, right? Is that, uh, you're down in the yep. Houston area? Yes, sir. Um, got out of the oil industry. And um, I, I guess I should have you probably tell your story, but you got out of it. Now you're kind of in the the coaching, executive training, executive leadership type uh, type world, but creating a ton of content and putting it on all the platforms. But what is, what is quickly, because we, if people really want to know the depths of his journey, we went into it quite a bit with our podcast, but just real quick on an overlay, started in the oil industry and, and what happened from there? Yeah, I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer by school. And basically I was in the oil and gas industry for 27 years. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. I was building businesses, uh, side businesses in the automotive performance industry. And that's where I became the what is known as the side hustle millionaire. I built these companies, made right. millions of dollars, sold those for multiple seven-figure exits. And in 2015, we had an oil and downturn, downturn in the industry. And I was laid off from working for a major oil company. And I decided, you know, in my 40s that I didn't want to go back to that because I was dealing with that volatility for my, most of my career. And here we are, another oil downturn hitting right now. We saw oil go negative dollar values last week still hasn't really recovered. And it's going to be a long road to recovery because there's really no demand right now for the overabundance of supply. And I would have known right away that my career, if I would have stayed in it for the last five years, I'd still be sitting on the bench today again. So I'd made the right choice to pivot out of that and do things that I actually enjoy, which is teaching people confidence and entrepreneurship, things I have a lot of passion for, Mm -hmm. things I've been doing privately for 15 years, but that was really just trying to hide from the camera and not wanting to put myself out there because I didn't feel like I needed to do that at the time. But then I started to think about my purpose and what impact I could create in this world. So this is why I'm doing things I do now. What 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 changed for you on that? Because I kind of know what changed for me because putting yourself out there and putting yourself on video and, and word form and 
you know, you're opening yourself up for criticism and everything that comes that way. And I'm actually a fairly thin skinned guy that that stuff wears me out and, and gets me down a little bit when, when I allow it to, um, but putting yourself out there, uh, what was the trigger for you that said, ah, screw this, man, I'm going like, this is what I want to do. And I want to help people and, you know, 10 bad comments, but a hundred people I'm impacting is worth it. That sort of thing. What, you know, a trigger point for you? Oh, absolutely. It's actually a pretty graphic event that happened in my life. And actually in 2015, I race cars. I'm a car fanatic. And so it's not unusual for manufacturers or performance shops or people like that to throw me the keys of, to some expensive hardware to go try to extract the best drag strip times or lap times around a road course. Something I've been doing for a very long time. I used to write and shoot for the automotive magazines, testing cars, the mm. businesses that I've created. And so I was at a drag strip at an event. And basically I was test driving a Dodge Viper with a thousand horsepower and I was trying to get a national record out of it. And it was the very first pass of the car mm. and something in the rear suspension broke at a top of third gear. So basically around 130 miles per hour, the rear wheel was steering instead of the front. And that put me against the concrete wall on the right side. Mm. I was in the right lane initially. And here's the thing is I, I've been trained to do this. I've done thousands of passes. I know how to save cars and things like that. So as I started to slow down to come off the wall, the car went hard left because the rear wheel was steering and I didn't know that. And basically now I'm approaching the left lane wall at 130 miles per hour. And in that moment, I thought it was gonna be my last moment of earth. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, well, here I go. And I impacted the wall and basically I survived. And I just really thought about stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, because through training, we realized that most racers mm. die through fire from all the fluids that spill out of the engine and the car. So my soul conscious was on just staying awake. So I get out of the car, I'm very calm. And the paramedic at the track did the inspections on me and things like that after the accident. And she said, you know, I just wanted to point something out to you. You're remarkably calm. Like there's accidents out here all the time. And most people are in a panic state or they've got that adrenaline shakes or the rush or, you know, the blood pressure is up, just all these different signs. And I was just really calm. And I remember I was very calm. And I was very peaceful in that moment that I was approaching that wall, thinking it would be my last moment on earth mm. and it's something that really stuck with me. So that was the catalyst for me to really start thinking about mortality after that event. And I started to think about how would I be remembered if I would have passed away that night? And the honest truth is I started looking back at the friends and things that I passed in the automotive scene, the motorcycle scene. And it was always the same things that people get remembered by, or you see things on social media. We all have friends that pass away. It's always, so-and-so was a nice guy, had had cool cars. So-and-so was gone too soon. Nice guy, cool cars. And I get it. If you're a dirtbag type person and you're not a nice person, that's something that you, maybe you aspire to be remembered as a nice person. But for someone that's always trying to help other people and contribute value, to me, what that was is it highlighted that it was not enough. I was not doing nearly enough. I was not making an impact if that was the way I was going to be remembered. And so I thought about that and I started thinking about how valuable our time is. And I said, why am I still here? So then I was laid off at the end of that year and I'd already been going through this thought process. And I said, you know what, this is the, the sign. This is the sign I need to make a change and go actually do some impact. So I was not comfortable coming on microphones. I was not comfortable standing on stages or getting in front of cameras. I just hid from those opportunities for the most of my life because one, I'm an introvert, two, self-conscious. A lot of these negative self-talk that's in our head to keep us from doing these kind of things. And frankly, financially, I didn't need to do that. So I just use that as a convenient excuse not to do it. Mm. And when I started realizing that I needed to go make more impact in this world, I said, what are the things I really love? Cars and entrepreneurship, two things I really love that I can speak on a high level of energy for the entire day. So I said, okay, everybody knows about all the cars. I got a bunch of fancy cars, had 10 cars in the driveway, all these different things, but I was never in front of the camera myself, never teaching people how I got those things unless they were my friends seen some amazing results from friends and inner circle people that I've been helping for the last 15 years. And they've always told me, you need to be doing this full time. You need to be doing this full time. You should do this. You're good at doing this. And it was always no, 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 because of those convenient excuses that I mentioned why I was not doing it. So I went on a soul searching mission to think about, do I really need to create the impact? Do I really have the information and the ability and the passion behind it? And the answer is yes. So I knew that I was not the right mm. person at the time. And I had to go invest in myself to become a better speaker by hiring speaker coach and joining Toastmasters and doing videos every single day for over a year. Hence the name 365 yeah. Driven. It's showing up every single day to create value to right. improve every single day. And it became a mantra. And here I am three years later. It's actually on May 4th coming up will be the exact three years that I have finally stuck the flag in the ground. I said, hey, guys, uh, up until now, you've only known me for cool cars. 
But now I'm going to start talking about business and how you guys can get Man. cool cars for yourself. Man, I, I, we did not go that deep. I don't believe the first time we met and talked. And so that's, that's a great story. That's I'm glad I asked that question. I put up uh, 365 Driven as your podcast. It's also your URL, isn't it? Is it 365driven.com? Yep. So you can make sure to track Tony down there. Um, so when you, is it three years? So three years ago, you put the the flag in the ground and said, "This is the this is the route I'm going." And the reason I'm asking that for I'm clarifying that for a reason. That is the that is it, right? Yeah, three years yeah. ago, yep. because it is, and I and I mentioned this earlier. I consume all your content um, because I uh, contribute to it and like it and maybe comment every once in a while. It bubbles up. And so I always see it on LinkedIn. I see it on Instagram, all the other platforms. Right. And it is amazing uh, where this has taken you. Right. And you're obviously, you know, passionate, intelligent, articulate, driven, all this sort of stuff. Right. And but there's a lot of people that are that that haven't been afforded the stages that you have found yourself on. And I'm sitting there going, man, like I talked to that guy a year ago and look what he's doing. And like, it's, it's, you know, it's one of these things I'm like super proud of you because you know, not that I know your whole story, but I was like, man, you see, you know, like just in one year, what you've done, what you've accomplished, who you've met, who you're being mentored by, who you are mentoring, you know, what you've done for your own business. I'm like, man, he's killing it. He's absolutely killing it. It's been fun to watch. You know, appreciate that. So when you when you started going down the route of hey I'm going to be doing this kind of this public social speaking and all that and your your passion your true passion of cars and the automotive industry how did you kind of mesh those two together because right now you're doing executive coaching teaching mm-hmm. training things of that which doesn't sound too car automotive focused but but when you started down this road how did you involve the automotive uh, your automotive passions I would actually say that I walked away from my automotive passions to create the entrepreneurship coaching business. And that's a that's a testament. So a lot of people are not willing to sacrifice something they truly love to go pursue something greater. And for me, cars were a big part of my life for most of my life. And I was willing to go put those things on hold for really the last five years. I, I quit buying so many cars and I scaled down my collection and I basically quit spending a lot of money going to racing events and going to different things. I still have an automotive related retail business that is online hundred percent that I've had for 15 years. That's doing very well, but I started to just really focus on what matters. And for me, that became impact and legacy and helping other people on a massive scale. Because as I started looking back at the business models that I'd created within the automotive sphere, they were always built around building massive communities to create value for other people. And therefore the rewards or the accolades or the financials come as a reward of those things. I think a lot of times people focus too much on the money up front and they get really short sighted and they really start to lose what the real purpose is. And for me, I like to go about go about building big, massive communities. So combined community size to give your listeners and audience perspective, about 500,000 registered members combined on some of the communities that I've built. So now I wanna build an entrepreneurship community that's going to span to millions of people because I like being a servant leader. I like being part of that community. I like integrating and participating within a community where there's a lot of leaders out there that want to just pound their chest and do egotistical things and think it's all all about them standing at the top of a mountain. I'm not like that. That's Mm -hmm. why I've had results of building massive communities because I'm willing to step inside the community and be a part of that acting community and contribute value on a daily basis. So I'm just applying the same principles from my automotive businesses to entrepreneurship business. So when you started this three years ago, May 4th, you, you said that would, which would be what, 2017. Um, what were some of those goals when you laid out? Like if you sat back and coming from, you know, the, the, uh, you know, oil world and, you know, that professional landscape, I'm sure you were, you know, had to have these goals and objectives and achievables and all this stuff that you had to deliver on outcomes. So I'm, I'm guessing, I'm totally guessing that you had kind of the similar mindset maybe as you went off on your own, like, Hey, if, if I'm going to make this work, I need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. I need to achieve or accomplish this. Did you sit down like May 4th and said, Hey, if I'm going to do this, this is where I have to get to. And then the question would be like, what were those things? Like, where did, what did you sit down and say you needed to accomplish, do meet open, you know, connect with whatever it was. Yeah. So a lot of the things I I teach within business and entrepreneurship and even executive coaching is how to establish a brand. And mm-hmm. you got to think about who this, the audience is that you want to serve. First of all, we, we, you know, some of us would call that the avatar and things like that, but it's really, I want you to think about really detailed individuals 
who you're speaking to with your message and who do you really want to serve? Because a lot of people just really don't know. And they, they start some new business or some brand and they kind of go out there and they're just vaguely speaking about all kinds of things and really just leave the viewers thinking like, who you serve? Like, what do you do? Like, if they're asking, what do you do? That means right. your message is not on point. It's not focused enough. So for me, I thought about kind of going back to what we all really like, what are the heroes that you wanted as a child, maybe, or a young adult that you didn't have? And for me, that was entrepreneurship because you know, I grew up lower middle class, not thinking that, you know, I would ever own a business or much less become a multimillionaire. These are things that we just don't think about because of our self-limiting beliefs that we grow up with and seeing our blue collar, hardworking parents and things like that and understanding and, and thinking things like that. It takes money to make money, which is a huge fallacy. And we see that, you know, business people, you know, we, we tell ourselves lies like you got to be rich to become a business owner. These are the things I grew up and believed in until I actually became a business owner and actually started to make money. And I'm like, wow, that's actually here. Like, how did this happen? I didn't expect it. So I really started to think about want to do this for entrepreneurship. I wanted to build a, a mantra, something, a movement of entrepreneurs. So branding is very important for me. I'm very visual. I'm very artistic and creative. And the reason this is 365 driven, like you see on the shirt, is because that's a mantra. Because I think about simple names that are existing on website URLs that you can go purchase the .com and .net of. And you do a lot of analysis and you test a lot of people that go, hey, what does this mean to you? Without, without you even telling them what it means, I could walk up to any stranger in the United States and go, hey, are you 365 driven? And I would say that the vast majority of them would think about that and go 365, 36. yeah, that's days of the year. And am I driven? Yeah, and I go, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm daily driven. So right now they're already agreeable without even you having to explain what the name is. Now, whether it's entrepreneurship or fitness or business or all those things are irrelevant because I, really contain all those. I actually do the life coaching, the business coaching, the mindset coaching, and all different strategies for my clients. So it's not about just being good at one thing. It's about being good at everything and trying to become the best at right. everything possible, relationships, health, wealth, relationships, and success. So I think a lot of times people sacrifice too much in one area, but I just want to be the best version of myself. And I understand that we all different. We have, we have, we have weaknesses. You know, we, yeah. there's, we, we can't be perfect of everything, but we can try to do better at everything. What about the person like like me like like I'm I there are things I would like to do professionally and I do have these dreams of maybe running my own thing and and all that sort of stuff but I'm in I'm in corporate America and and happy I have a great company that I work for and so a majority of us are in that boat right um, how important is our personal brand how important is my personal brand with being in corporate America right now, now the landscape's changed and so I think there's some more juice and there's more of a squeeze on considering. Uh, you know, building your personal brand in light of everything that's going on right now. Um, but but most of us are in corporate America. Is that important or something we should be considering or thinking about? So here's the thing. Everybody has a personal brand, whether you work for a company or you work for yourself. The problem is, is most people don't realize they have a personal brand. So they, therefore, they let society dictate that for them. Mm -hmm. Now, if you take an active approach to building your personal brand, even within a corporate sphere, you're going to get far greater results because let's face it, you got to be good at self-promoting. When you go ask for yeah. that pay raise or you're going to go for that job interview, you're auditioning and you're having to sell yourself to get that role or that promotion, or maybe you want that attention or maybe you want that authority or whatever it is that you're trying to desire out of the corporate structure, it's there for you, but it's never just handed to you. It always goes to the people who are very aggressive and proactive about seeking those kind of opportunities. So you got to really think about this thing because even though you may be working for one company, if you build a strong enough personal brand, guess what? The competitors and anyone else that you're interacting with are going to want to recruit you. And it's a whole lot easier to make more money by transitioning to a different company than it is to climb the same ladder within one company. Because let's be honest, most people get a 10 to 15% raise anytime they jump ship, but that's only if they're recruited from some other company, not just being needy and needing to have the job. Because if you go into a job or an interview because you don't have a job, you have far less leverage than somebody that's actually got employment and is happy at their job. So you're going to get a better offer when you have a job. So think about that. If you can go, I've, I've seen these times where people would go away from a corporate company, go hop two different companies and come back to the same company. Right. And they're three or four levels higher than they would have been if they would have just stayed at the same company. Nowadays, tenure at a corporation is typically about three years. So yeah. use that to your advantage. If you've been at the same company for three years and you haven't climbed that corporate ladder to where you want to be, sometimes you need to be looking externally. Now, given all the COVID and coronavirus stuff going on right now, 
yeah, you definitely don't want to be playing those kind of games. But when things are returning and things are good, you really need to start thinking about this. Am I really getting what I want from this company? So take an active approach in building your personal brand and your desirability outside of that office. Yeah, my brother's a CTO here in St. Louis and he and I'm in the IT industry. And when I got into this IT industry and started kind of moving around jobs, the point that resonates with me that he told me over drinks one night, he was like, George, you only really get one chance to negotiate you know, title, responsibility, pay, benefits, like all that. He was like, because to your point, you know, you could be there 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, but there is part like it's continuing to build your brand. But if you're at a company, is there a sense of, um, you know, I don't know the right word, but it, you know, where you're just, uh, it's not selfish, right. Or, you know, self-promoting like you're internally, like, who is this guy? Why is he always, you know, building himself up on, social or whatever it is there there is kind of that mindset that i think maybe pulls people down um you know but it is one of these things i i try not to say i me my much um and i know that when i go into interviews for new jobs that's the one time like i feel like i should be self-promoting and saying hey i've done this or i'm capable of this or i'm i'm worthy of this um but but is that a mindset that you should continue to have or is that just a mindset you need to have to get in the door? Should we continue to have that mindset of us and, and our value and promoting our value internally? Let's talk about the navigation of corporate structures. I did this extremely well. And I think a lot of that became as a result of the confidence I had by knowing that my income was external. For most of my career, I was making more money on my side businesses, which required right. very little time to, then I could go back to my engineering and project management career with a lot of confidence, knowing that I walked around with a parachute that I didn't need to put up with anybody's shit. So understanding that I have a different perspective because I got to see the employee side and the entrepreneurship side at the exact same time for over 20 years together. Now, here's the thing. Most people are very aggressive when they're young, when you're in your 20s and you're mm -hmm. trying to establish yourself. And this is going to resonate with anybody that's watching this because you're going to be thinking about when you're in your 20s and how you are willing to take on that extra authority roles. You're willing to step in there and get more projects. You're willing to stick your name in the hat and maybe be the maverick and be the idea and the thought leader. And those are the actions that got you promoted to middle management. Now, here's the problem. That's the stagnation pool for most of corporate America is that middle management sphere, mm. because most people make it to that comfortable income level. And now they're less likely to be that maverick or that thought leader or that innovator. And they just want to do status quo and fit in and take home that six figure salary and basically play it out for the next 30 years till they retire. So they're not wanting to rock the boat. They start getting involved in more political games and they start to do these different things and they really just stagnate as a leader. So when you make it to that middle management and you're wondering, why you're not getting those executive suite type offers and you're not being asked to become the executives of these companies is because you gave up the hunger and the aggressiveness that got you there in the first place. That's it's the good. people who are willing to stand out and take a stance for the benefit of the company, not themselves, and see actual changes and do things that are incredible that turn things around, which get promoted to executive roles. So you truly have to be outstanding and aggressive at all costs because it may cost you your job, but you know what? It's far better to try and never have gotten that role yeah. and maybe get recruited into another company that was watching those kind of actions. The personal brand that you talked about, the building of that around you, people start to see you as an innovator, a risk taker, a thoughtful risk taker, and you're looking for the best interest mm -hmm. for the companies. But you know what? That's what the shareholders want. The shareholders want those thought leaders. They're going to try to bend the things and get things the most out of the companies and get the actual results. So you'll find that most people make it to middle management and they just stagnate there until they die. Yeah. Hey, uh, for those watching, my uh, my video is actually really bad. I'm going to try to reposition myself. I'm not being rude to anybody. But as I kind of do this, this is what I'm taking away from you, um, Tony. There's a lot to take away. Um, but you had mentioned that you grew up lower middle class. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've had this discussion a number of times. That's better with my video. Whew, it's hot in this room. Um, you, you mentioned something that I've heard many times before, and it piggybacks on what you said 15 minutes ago, and it's piggybacking on what you just said. And it's, this is how I'm taking it, that there's, that there's too much comfort in the middle, um, that the, that either you're arriving at middle management or you're raised middle class. You said, uh, you said you were raised lower middle class and not to name drop or anything, but I had David Meltzer on last week and it was great. And he grew up lower middle class, six or seven kids, um, you know, that he brothers and sisters and single mom, 
and everybody went to the Ivy Leagues, right? And and so I, I thought the same thing with him that you're saying now is this comfort in the middle, right? And even for me, I was raised middle class. Some could say maybe lower middle class, but I don't think I'm as driven. There's things I'm continuing to work on. I'm not nearly as driven as you. I wish I was. I wish I went out there and got after it a little bit more, but maybe I'm just comfortable in the middle. Maybe you get that position. You just have to end up being comfortable where you like, do you, do you sense that this driven, this 365 driven mindset that you have is really built on not being lower middle class, being uncomfortable and continuing to drive to want more? Um, I mean, is that is that kind of that feel? Because that's exactly what I hear you saying is that there's just too much comfort in the middle. So, you know, how you grew up economically and the positions you hold when you're, you know, in your 40s. I would say that as a as a former hiring manager in the corporate level, I was earning multiple six figures and I would hire people anywhere between 50,000 a year to 175,000 a year, full range of salaries in the whole project management organization. And I'll tell you that most people, when they get around, and this is for Houston, it depends on your, your cost of living, obviously, but around Houston area where I've worked my entire career, most people make it to between 100 and 120 a year, and they start to really just slack off. And it's really to someone like me that can actually see potential in other people and understand that they have no limits and potential. It really hurts when I see people just waste their potential. But I see that it happens about the speed bump around 100, 120. And they kind of cruise control for the next 10 years and maybe they make a buck 50 yeah. a year. And they just kind of just top out there and they think that that's all that was within them. They, they feel like they've made it. OK, and. And we hear this kind of stuff because we get raised by parents that maybe never made six figures. My mom never made six figures. My dad made six figures late in his career, probably 30 years in. So when you hear this, when you're growing up, hey, you just need to make six figures. You just need to make six figures. If you make six figures, you're going to be successful. If you make you know, all these things that they create, these, 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 these limitations in your mind. So when you finally make it, you start to give yourself the whole self pat on the back. Finally made six figures, man, I, I'm successful. And then you got all your friends around you who are barely under six figures or right at that same pay scale yeah. as you. And they're validating you too. Oh man, you're, you're crushing it. You're doing so well. And you start to believe that, but in, inside you don't believe it. You don't feel it. You, you, you hear it, but you don't feel it. And so you start right. to look around and go, I don't know, man, I thought I would be a lot happier or more successful feeling at this pay level. And then you go, well, maybe I'll make 150. And so you try a little harder and you get there and you go, really feels the same as 100, you know, what's going on? Let me try to make 175, make it to 175, you go, all right, my car is a little nicer. Maybe my house is a little nicer, but you know, I still feel like I'm the same. It doesn't really feel much different. Well, let me just try to get that multiple six figures. Let me just try that because, mm -hmm. you know, very, very few people can make 200,000 a year. And it's like, okay, you go do that. And you're like, really doesn't feel like any different than 150 a year. You got a little bit nicer clothes, maybe, maybe you got an extra week vacation. Your title looks a little bit better on your office, you know, but it's like, it's all the same until you start making about half a million a year. It's really the same. And most people don't realize that. So they kill themselves working 80 hour weeks for a corporation that can't give them their dreams. They're going to top out at 200. Most people, it takes 25 years to make 200,000 in a corporation, that org chart structure. And they're just going to be asking for things that they can't get. You're looking at your supervisor right now. You need to be asking yourself, does that person live the life that I dream about? Not the lifestyle that I would like to have. Do they have the lifestyle that you dream about? Answer is going to be no. Mm. And if you ask yourself, okay, let me look at my supervisor's supervisor. Does that person have the lifestyle that I dream about? And for me, that was looking at CEOs because I was reporting directly to vice presidents and looking at CEOs and going, no, actually my life's pretty well there already. So why am I working so damn hard to get something from someone that can't give me what I want? So you need to start thinking about how do I get out of this? How do I go scale something or get some impact? Because you're going to start to find when you raise through that middle management, that your authority also gets capped. They start cutting you off at the knees and they're like, well, you can't do that. You can't mm. say those kind of things. And you're going to feel like your, your, your potential's just like got a lid on it. And that drives someone like me crazy. Like I cannot stand being limited by anything. I'm going to, I like to have the authority structure, but don't limit my potential and don't get me into political games because of your, your, mm. how you're going to gain from that. It just doesn't work for me. And I don't like being told what to do. I like being challenged to go do something. So it's a little bit of a different mind shift. But man, yeah, 365 driven, it's just something you have to be invested in and always looking for those opportunities to improve in every aspect of your life. And, and I think that's the, the key to being happy is always understanding that there's no top end limit. 
I can always improve. I can always learn something new. I can always try something new. I can go face my fears and do that. And you're going to find that the growth is always on the other side of those fears. We hear that's kind of a cliche phrase, but that's my experience. When you think anytime something has made me kind of fearful or given me anxiety, I don't hide from that kind of stuff. But I think that's also a testament of me being somewhat of a daredevil and adrenaline junkie. It's my nature. But I'll tell you that all the good things are on the other side of those things. And when we hear the cliche phrase like, you know, the, the, the real growth is on the other side of your comfort zone and stuff like that. But it's because it's true. And it's true. And, and people hear those things and they don't believe it because they've never tried it and they've never seen the results. So they just hear these cliche things and go, oh, that's cute. That's trite. But they've never actually tried it. So they don't believe in it. Yeah. Do you find yourself now thinking that you deserve all this great stuff that's coming your way and the people that you've been connected with? Because it, listen, I, I really, you're saying a lot of really great things and you have me thinking about, um, the people that you look at and the life that they have that, you know, is it your dream? Is it not, it might be better, but is it really your dream? Right. And I know the people that you are connected with and I follow those people. And, and I, and, you know, I, I think you, you know, I've spent some time with uh, Ed Milet up in Coeur d'Alene Lake and all this sort of stuff. And so I'm thinking about that, but there's um, you know, that mindset of, you know, wanting more. And I just feel like when, if I were you and I got to, you know, those connections, those people, um, there would be a lot of fear, like, man, I'm not sure I can roll with these people, or I'm not sure that I deserve to be in this opportunity or to take advantage. Cause I'm being honest, I've, I've, you know, our little podcast and all this. And then I get some of these people on that want to be on. I'm like, Oh, do I actually want to return this call? Like, do I actually really want that? Um, you know, because it's that other side, I'm like, man, this is a totally different level. If I take this call, right. Um, but like, you don't have that fear. I don't think like, you're like, man, I expect and demand that I will be on that level. And, and, and I'm not fearful of rolling with those people where I think a lot of people, myself included would be like, Oh shit. Like, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Right. And you miss that opportunity. I think that it, it comes from being confident around people that are very famous or well-known. It just, it comes from having your own in, inner confidence. And that's something that you have to build yourself. I didn't always have that. I had to work into that by basically having the results. So as I started to keep promises and setting goals to myself and actually seeing the results, that builds your internal confidence. Now, external people can be naysayers and critics and haters and things like that. They don't even fade me because I bet on myself and I've had a tendency of proving results and actually exceeding my goals. So when you have that level of confidence, even at any level that you're at, you're going to be a lot more confident when you step into a room with a bunch of big names. And I wanted to share a quote that I actually heard last week from a, I was speaking on an online seminar from a spiritual guru named Panache Desai. And he summarized this perfectly because I never heard anybody explicitly say it this way, but his quote was that you will be comfortable around the most powerful people in this world when you, when you need nothing from them. Mm. And when I realized that, because that's one of the questions he gets asked, because he's he's been on Oprah, yeah. he, he's a spiritual guru for all these different celebrities and things like that. And people ask him, like, how, how do you work with so-and-so? What's it like working with so-and-so? And he's like, he's so solid in his core and his beliefs and his confidence that he doesn't need anything from them. And when you don't need anything from those people, you show up as an equal. So that's huge. When I started thinking about it, it's like, that's me. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm not asking Ed Milet for anything. I'm not asking Andy Frizzella for anything. I'm not asking any of those people that they run with for anything. I just enjoy being in their proximity to learn something, but I'm yeah. not needing something from them. So right. I can enter that room and be myself. And I think that's why they also enjoy having me around is because I do bring that confidence and I'm not putting them on a pedestal. Because at the end of the day, we're all just people, man. Like yeah. nobody that I've ever met that's become highly successful on their own. Mm -hmm. They never thought they would be there. I feel like I'm the same way. I'm, I'm the same person I was 20 years ago, just improved. But I don't think I, we never thought we'd become millionaires or billionaires or whoever these people are. So when you understand that people are people, they got the same problems as you. They got the same internal struggles. They've got the same imposter syndrome. I mean, Ed Milet, guy's worth $400 million. And he'll tell you, I've got imposter syndrome and I still get nervous when I push the on button on my camera or get on a stage. And when you hear that kind of stuff, it's like, Wait a minute. Right. He's just like me, he's relatable. That's exactly what he is, guys. He's just another human. But when you start to treat other people as equals, not be condescending or not put them on pedestals, they're going to treat you with the same reciprocity. Yeah, I'd also piggyback on that to say, you know, that idea of that when you can't get something from somebody like, you know, it's how Ed Milet would probably treat you. 
mm-hmm. right? That would say a lot. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing. And I, and I, and I would, if it were me, there's nothing that George Evian can do for Ed Milet. Nothing, mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. Right. But if he still treats me like an equal, if he still treats me like I'm a somebody, um, that's when, you know, it's one of those things in my coaching background, we used to say to our players, you know, all I need to know about you is how you treat youth, younger kids and how you treat the elderly, because those two groups can't do anything for you and how you treat them is all I need to know about you. And I see some of these things with the people you roll with and, and, and some of these other, you know, how they treat people that can't do anything for them. But I'd love the mindset of making, if you, if you can just go in and the thing that I really like, cause I thought about this and actually had it in my notes from last week. It's to have that mindset of going into every conversation, wanting nothing other than trying to learn something. Yeah. Right. And not yeah. of, Hey, I'm going to get Tony on and maybe this will lead to this, or I could get this phone call or this connection or this business deal or whatever it is. But man, Tony's probably got something really valuable to offer me. And if I'm receptive to it and open to it and ask the right questions, it could be an impactful life-changing moment for me without ever asking for anything. Um, what were, what are those mindsets? Are those kind of, I mean, you, you've touched on the mindsets, a lot of those people, what are there specific, the people that you work with and coach with, and that do take their lives kind of to another level. Um, are there mindsets that you really try to focus on with them? And I, I know each client that you work with is, is unique and individual, and they have different things that they're working on and through. But is there something, is there a theme you think that people, even like me, that, uh, that you know, that there's some mindset shifts that we need to make? I would say that the, the resounding mindset that each of my clients comes to me with from the beginning is a false limitation on their potential. And I think that's something that exists for everybody until you start to gain some awareness that there is no limit of potential because we see people like Ed Milet and Andy Frizzell and these guys that are crushing it and celebrities. And we go, man, I wish I could do that, but I'm never going to be able to do that. I can never do that. But that's not true. It's not true. And I'll tell you that when I'm helping people start their businesses, for example, very first business, maybe they're coming out of the employee phase and they want to go build something. We always try to set some kind of a financial or a you know, financial goal or maybe some kind of a non-negotiable goals that we want to make sure that the business is built around what they need for the rest of their life. And I'll tell you that nine times out of 10, George, nine times out of 10, people will set a financial goal that's basically the salary that they're earning at the job that they have right now. And I, and I know that they're going to say that. So I kind of just let them respond. I don't feed any numbers in their mind. I said, what kind of financial goal would you like, George, for this business? And if you're making 150000 a year, you're like, you know, I'd like to make 150000 a year. And they say this with certainty. And I, and I kind of kick back and I laugh and I go, why, why, why are you laughing? Why are you smiling? It's like, what's your current salary right now at your job? And usually it's within $10,000 of that, that financial goal. I said, so do you really think that you're only valuable enough to this world to make that money? Is that does somebody feed that into your brain that you can cap out and that's your potential for life? And, and they never even thought about that question before. And yeah. they start thinking about it. It's like, so your title, your job, your experience, your 10 years experience, your 25 years experience, your degree, society and job boards and places like LinkedIn and the the job listings, those things, you've allowed those to determine what your potential is. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I think you're right. And it's like your boss has only told you that you're only worth this. So when you get that pay raise, you just get a little bit more. That's what you're worth. So as Americans and world and people around the world, we start to define our self-worth and our potential based on the income snapshot or where we're currently at. Now we can have aspirations, but even then we don't dream that big. We go, you know, if we're making a hundred thousand a year, man, I can make 125 someday. You know, we don't set goals very big. So we create these false ceilings. And I'll tell you nine times out of 10, these people will come to me and they all have some kind of artificial ceiling that's imposed in their mind by external factors. And once we can break that free, and start thinking about what the real potential is. Now, man, they start to become more creative and they start to become alive again. And it's it's like they they go back into a childlike state where like, man, I could do this and I can get these results and we can be really aggressive. And I can, it's like, yes, you can, let's do that. So I think the artificial ceilings of potential is what the, that hold most people back. But I hear you say that. And now I'm just playing devil's advocate. If you told me that, Hey, George, what do you think you, you know, your worth or what's your financial goals? And I told you X and you're sitting around going, well, 
what if it were X? What if it were 175,000 or $225,000? Then my, my immediate reaction would be, okay, things got to change. If I'm going to achieve that, things have to change. Mm -hmm. I've got to, it's not that I just have to have a, this, you know, the universe is going to do it for me. And all of a sudden I'm going to have these opportunities. Like it's going to take some action. It's going to take some planning. It's going to take me getting out of my comfort zone where I, my, my experience would tell me that's where you lose everybody. And that's why we're stuck in the middle, right? Hey, well, shit, man, now I've got to do, I've got to come up with 10 other things. If I'm going to reach that 225, 250, 325, things have to change substantially and significantly. And I've got to start doing these things man, I'm not sure, Tony, if I want to do any of that. Right. I just don't, you know, so maybe, maybe where I'm at now is acceptable. Right. But you're I'm, the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you sit you. there and say, man, you're, you're capable of more though. I'm going to teach you why you think that way. This, that's common. The way you responded is absolutely common. That's why people can't justify earning more because what they're doing is they look at the snapshot of the current job that they have and they go, you know what? I'm already working 50 hours at this job. If I want to make double this, I got to work a hundred hours. I'm not willing to sacrifice a hundred hours of my life. And they're going, well, I just, I'm, I'm comfortable here. So I'm just going to, maybe I can work 40 hours instead of 50 and just make the same money. That'd be a great thing. And that's what, so as an employee mindset, you're bargaining time versus dollars, time versus dollars, time versus dollars. And when you get into the entrepreneurship side, you realize that time and money are not related because that's the biggest fallacy that we've been pre-programmed with since we were kids is time is money, George. Money's time. Time is money. Clock in, clock out. And you realize that you got to go trade that one increment of hours of dollars for dollars. And you think that there's this transactional relationship between time and money. Well, that's not. That's only existing in the in the employee side of things. Yeah. So when you get in the entrepreneurship side of things, you get more creative. You go, well, how can I earn money off of somebody else's time. That's, that's what we call employees. We make money off of their hours, not my hours. Now I'm scaling hours. Or maybe you build some kind of digital process that's automated that runs automatic ads once you start to create this machine. And you and I can be sitting here, I'm making hundreds of dollars in the background and I'm not clocked in anywhere. I'm not actually focused on any of that stuff right now, but I'm earning money. So when you start to realize that you can disconnect time and money and actually make money while you're sleeping, while you're sitting on the commode while you're on vacation and not having to be anywhere at any time, that's when the power of creativity starts to come in and you start to realize like there is no limit. I mean, billionaires are not paid by the hour. They're paid by the value and the scalability of the things that they've created. Yeah, so we got to get away from trading time and money. And that's an employee mindset that creates the limitation. So don't think about sack. Don't think about more sacrifice. You can actually make a lot more money in a shorter amount of time if you build the right systems. You know, the businesses that I was making millions of dollars with one hour a day, one hour a day. You know, I actually did all that stuff and I sold to the company before the four hour work week. It was even a book. So mm -hmm. to, to put that in perspective, as I realized about two years into this is like, wow, I'm actually making more of the side business one hour a day than my engineering career. And for most people, they hear side hustle, they hear side business and they automatically think side money. It's not true. You can actually make more money if you build the right systems and processes than your actual career. So you got to disconnect time and money as soon as you can and start being more creative. Mm. That's a great point. I just got through, like I mentioned earlier, with week-long training last week. And a lot of the theme of the week-long training last week, and I'm in the software world, is about building systems that provide mm -hmm. value. And to your point of millionaires and billionaires, they are paid by the mm -hmm. value that they create and provide to other people. They're not paid hourly, right? It's like, hey, Ed Milet. $400 million. He's providing an immense load of value yeah. to all his businesses, all his people, all his customers and clients, mm -hmm. and not worried about the dollar, right? Or not worried about the hour or the minute. He's just right. worried about providing value. Right? Entrepreneurs try to figure out how to work less hours and make more money. Just yeah, provide em more value. Employees try to work more hours to make more money. Man, that's a good point. That's really good. Let, let, let's go on to this because I, I, I want to I honor your time. We're 42 minutes in and I already know that we could go a lot longer. But um, I, you, you have been connected with, I want to start it this way. Um, coaching to me, and I have a background in athletic coaching and spent most of my career and, and to this day still working with uh, athletes in the coaching space. And a, a coach told me this, a very good coach said, George, a coach's job, he will see more in you than you see in yourself. Mm -hmm. that's the job of a coach. And then to try to get it out of you and figure out how to connect and inspire and to motivate, to get what they see out of you. And so I think that's probably, a, you know, this blanket statement, maybe with what you try to do with your clients and the people you're coaching. And then I was thinking about the people that are coaching you, 
right? And you're at this great level. You're not satisfied. There's more value that you can create and provide uh, for your clients and for other people. Um, but you're being coached by some of the greats out there right now, right? And so I, to that point, I'm interested in how you got connected. And I'm, I'm talking about Ed Milet and um, Andy Frisella. And Andy Frisella is a local uh, here in St. Louis that does supplement superstores and first form. And um, Ed Milet is in the financial services industry. And how did you get, how did you get, because those are great mentors. Those are great coaches. If you want to, if, if that's what they're doing for you is kind of coaching you along um, to have kind of uh, that you can just sit and learn from much like what you just said. So how did you get connected with them? And then I want to kind of position that into how did you end up on their stage speaking in front of that entire syndicate that they've put together? Because what in three years time, what, what, what great goals to have achieved? So I think that everybody needs a mentor or a coach, basically. Yeah. And I wouldn't even hire a coach unless they have mentors or coaches, let's be honest, because if they're not investing in that process, then how can they really believe in that process for you? So with that in mind, yeah, I do have the financial background to be able to go afford these. It's a six figure investment to go work with guys like that. So and they're very selective. You have to apply. They had over 30,000 people applied to be in the RT syndicate. And then they handpicked 100 people that they wanted to work with based on what we were doing out in the world, what kind of impact, what kind of audience we're trying to build, what are the core values that they see in our social media and things that we're creating. So they picked those, those people to be in that. So it was not like, you know, here's an open enrollment and you can just join at any time. And everybody else basically went into the RT Accelerator, which is about 3,000 people who just really just get the videos, but they don't do the live in-person events. Still a great value for that kind of opportunity to get live videos from those guys, you know, a couple times a month. Now, with that in mind, I'm trying to think about how do I build my speaker business and my business model. My 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 mentor before that was Lewis Howes, who really started to help mm. me with the podcasting and the book and all the personal branding and the website and the positioning. So I learned a lot of things from Lewis for about year and a half before I went into the RIT syndicate. And it's good to have understand that each of these people all have their unique skills and abilities. And to really try to find somebody that's done the things that you would like to accomplish and model that behavior. And if you can afford to pay access to learn from those people, you're going to shortcut your, your timeline extremely. So for me wanting to be a speaker 2019, I was like, you know what? I wanna go do some more speaking events, watch some big speaking events and take some notes from the people I'd really admire. And for, for me, that was Ed Milet. Like seeing that guy on stage, he's one of the best speakers you'll ever see live, just very emotional, very high energy. I said, dude, I love the way this guy puts it down in front of an audience. I wanna learn from this guy. And when the RT syndicate opened up, it was like, there it is. And, and Andy, I've been following for years. He's a, he's a fellow entrepreneur car guy. And I really right. like the way he has like a really tough love type mindset. I said, these two guys combined, like this is like a dream come true to go have these two guys. So I applied and I'm very honest about where I was in financial situation. I was like, you know, I, I was making a lot more 10 years ago and I've kind of gotten lazy and I, I want to get back on it. And they understood with that, like, hey, we have all been there. So when you start thinking about that kind of stuff, it's about how do I shortcut the process by putting myself in the proximity of the right people to get me where I need to get. I think a lot of times people have this ego and they try to be self-made and do it all themselves. And that's why it takes them years and years and years to get the same results. So if you can afford it, or if you can do something to contribute value to the people that could be your true mentors, mm -hmm. go offer that and go get in their proximity because you're going to vastly accelerate your results. And that's why people have seen the things I've been doing in really the last two years, just blowing it up is because one, I'm confident right. to go put myself out there and actually create some value and try to get some reciprocity to help people. And I'm also contributing a lot of value to their audience. So they have groups. If you're, if the people you're following have groups, go in there and be a contributor, answer questions, make videos, support people, encourage people within their groups. They're going to start to take notice of you and they're going to start to elevate you. And that's what I did is I joined the larger group the first year, RT Accelerator. There was about a thousand people that year. And I was just, I said, if I'm going to be in this group, I'm going to be a contributor rather than a consumer. So I went inside that private group, created videos, did how to's, encouraged people, gave advice. If I saw someone ask a question and I knew the answer to you, I would just answer the question. I wouldn't go, oh, somebody else can get to that. And that's just how I am even on my normal social media. So they started to watch me and they started to handpick people from that group to promote up. And they said, you know what? We want you to come up here and do this with us. And so that's how I ended up on that stage in front of 2000 people, man. It's, it's being able to contribute the value, not to be the one taking value from people. Was that how you started three years ago? So you, you talk about being an introvert, you know, social media, all this sort of stuff. So that's a big jump for somebody that, you know, has kind of those personality traits to say, 
you know what, I'm introverted, but you know what, I'm, I want to get plugged in with this group and I've got to contribute. Like I've got to be one of these, you know, I've got to have my name out there. I need to be, you know, liking everything or commenting on everything or giving a perspective on every question out there. Um, was that hard for you? Is that a hard adjustment to make? And, and you, clearly you've done it in three years. I've always been the contributor of a value, but mostly in the written form or the how-to form. So even back from the automotive communities I built, I was always writing how-to articles I've written for magazines. So I was very good at writing mm -hmm. and getting in front of a camera and doing public speaking. Hell no, that was like the scary part. Okay. Well, that's just another form of communicating or contributing. So I realized that I didn't have those strengths. I need to go invest in that. So that's why I joined the Toastmasters and started making myself very uncomfortable doing videos. My videos are all still out there. I didn't delete any of them because I like to show the clients that see me and hear me speak now. Yeah. Because like, oh, the Tony, he makes it look so easy. Look, he's on the big stage and that's all, you know, he's probably born with that. Like, nope, I will show you the first videos that I made and it's not even the same person. And that was only three years ago because I want people to show show them what, what's possible if they just invest in themselves and do the reps because videos, these live videos, the podcast, the standing on stage, it's all, you get better with reps and you get better with coaching and you get better by understanding where your weak points are and how to improve things. So it's always a process and it's not something we're born with. You know, George, we're, we're not we're not doing live videos because we had, were born with this unique talent. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. I think that these are all skills, just like you're a sports coach. You realize that some people just don't have the ability, but that they can get coached. And all of a sudden they start to be a performer and they're like, wow, this is actually working. It's like, exactly. It's not it's, it's not something we're born with. It's a skill. Public speaking is a skill. It's not a it's not a unique talent. Yeah. So you go from this introvert that's working or joining Toastmasters, trying to get plugged in, good writer, but social media, video speaking is outside your comfort zone, clearly, uh, as you said. Then you get invited two miles that way, mm. two miles that way <laughs> from my house, two exits away. And you speak at the Arate Syndicate on this big stage in front of everybody. And and how did that end up happening? Like, I, I know you, you got tight with them and all that, but they're tight with a lot of people. So they felt like, hey, if we're going to do this in front of this syndicate, and maybe that happens once a year, twice a year, um, there's a lot of people that could speak. There's a lot of people they're connected with, but they chose you, you know. So Milet and um, Andy Frisella choo choose you. You go up on stage and give, uh, and I've listened to it uh, in whatever uh, uh, platform I saw it on. But how did that come about? Because I was like, Man, like that was when it the kind of light bulb went. I was like, man, he is getting it done to, to go from that to the to where you ended up. Well, first of all, they they looked at the syndicate guy. The, the group is 100 people and they asked us to submit speech proposals to get on that stage. Hmm. And honestly, only only about 15 people out of 100 people even submitted that. To me, that was a huge missed opportunity. But I get it because the vast majority of the people in that group are business owners and they don't have any interest in building their influence or personal brand. I would say that maybe 10 people in that entire group are really actively trying to build their personal brand. And even fewer of us are actually people who wanted to be speakers. So there's probably four of us, to be honest, that mm -hmm. are actually speakers and that out of a hundred people. So I do have a little bit of a background and, and, and advantage getting on that stage because I know what organizers want to hear. And I've already positioned myself as that is my profession within that group. So it kind of leans back to me, right? They need someone that's actually kn knows what they're doing and has mm. proven results. And, you know, we got good, we got good odds of putting this guy on the stage and he's going to do something and deliver, right? Not just go up there and choke. So I think that has a lot to do with it. But even as a business owner outside of that, you can still have those same skill sets and you can still showcase those skill sets, but you have to want to do that. You have to want to attract that. That's part of your, your repertoire of, of, of skills or communication. So yeah. I think there's an opportunity for anybody. And what I like to say is I'm not a, I'm not a public speaker. I'm actually, a, I'm not a professional speaker. I'm actually a speaker that's a professional. So, you know, I make my money outside hmm. of speaking, but I'm willing to go speak because that's something I enjoy doing. And I, and I was a president of that Toastmasters for a year after I started to get pretty good in winning some competitions. But it's all about, you know, being positioned the right way to get that opportunity. Yeah. So as you get coached by those guys, and again, I, you know, those are people and I, I don't want to put words with what you said, but I kind of maybe your mindset is, you know, I'm going to 
it's one of those things. Like you, if you want to, if you want to raise your temperature, like actually Ed Milet talks about, you got to kind of be around those people that are already at that temperature and then, and then get comfortable being at that temperature. Right. So you want to get there. So you're being coached by these guys. That's the, the, maybe what you're attaining to, or the goals that you might have to kind of be at that level, getting comfortable with those guys. And when they coach you, when they see more in you than you see in yourself, what are they coaching Tony Watley on that you that the dials you need to adjust? What do you need to work on? Because you're uber successful right now. You're killing it in many ways. Not satisfied, more to achieve, more value to create, more impact to have. But what are your what dials have to change for you according to them or even yourself? I think it's it's looking around at the the scene that you're 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 competing in. So whatever industry is or or vertical that you're working within start to look at the leaders of that. And if there's a face or a name to the face out there that's really doing something that you admire, what is it the things that you could do to maybe position yourself a little bit more uniquely? And you don't never want to just copy somebody. You always want to be the best version of yourself. Your uniqueness is what makes you in distinct and, mm. and it's what's going to be really your advantage to anything. So for me, I've always been that that some that that tough love kind of blunt person. I'm, if you were to look at Andy and Ed, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm right in the middle. Like Ed is definitely more on the empath and more of the emotional side. And Andy's like the, the fierce, like, <laughs> I just want to step on your throat and crush your skull type. And I'm, I'm in the middle. I, I can sway both directions, but I'm not comfortable, you know, being Andy Frazella and I'm not comfortable being fully Ed Milet. So I, I, I'm honest with myself. So I have a little bit of a both kind of a situation. So it's a great combination of coaches to have us, but mm. they don't, they don't get into the direct tactics on one-on-one because there's a hundred of us when they're trying to coach us, but they give us a lot more mindset and strategies around building businesses and creating core values and teamwork and what you do in adversity moments. So I would say the things that I learned from most about them is more about the, the leadership of building and scaling and exiting companies. So that's going to apply for some of the things that I'm building in the future. The, the speaking and things like that, we only learn by example. They don't go into the tactics and talk about like, this is what I do when I'm speaking. And here's how we say this thing. Like they don't go into that level of detail, but you should be able to take notes if you're observant to see how they do things and how they how their stances are and what are the, how they're, what are the keywords they're using to impact the, and engage the audience. So being around those guys and seeing them speak just candidly, like in a conversation versus a stage, it's amazing to see the different tactics that yeah. come out into play. But me being a part of Toastmasters, going weekly meetings and learning and teaching people and studying other speakers, I make a lot of notes when I go to speaking events. I take tactical notes on the speaking tactics and the notes on things that they're saying. So I have a dual purpose meaning for going to these kind of things. And I think most people kind of go to the, these speaking seminars and they just really take notes on the content, but they're not really observing the speakers and how to engage people and how to be more influential. And I'm pretty good at observing that and actually learning that and applying that and then teaching it to other people. Mm, man, I mean, that's, that's good. You have, you have a great perspective and you're uh, the one thing that changed my life about all this. And just to circle back to the first question I asked you about when this happened for you, that you got comfortable and got in your comfort zone and all this. And it was the, uh, you know, the accident that you had on the speedway. Um, Mine was listening to actually Gary Vanderchuk and um, where he was just really talking about being self-aware, knowing who you are and just getting plugged into that and not letting anybody kind of get you off that line. And I I don't say that necessarily uh, to to hijack it about me, but I feel that way very much so about you. Like you are without question self-aware and that I'm comfortable with who I am. I know where I'm going to be and I don't, nobody gets me off my line. That's a phrase that I kind of use with the teams I coach. Like, don't let anybody get you off your line. Right. And just be totally self-aware with that. So, you know, I want to honor your time, but um, so what, what are the next steps for you? Like, so you said three years, I've known you for about 14, 15 months and have followed you for 14 or 15 months and you've killed it, you know, uh, prior to that. And since I've been following you, you've gone to so many different levels and I'm willing to bet that the next 14, 15, 16 months are even going to be better than the last 14, 16 months. But what does that look like for you? What, what are the next 14, 16 months uh, for you looking like? My superpower is building community. And that's the thing that I have a lot of advantage over a lot of different people. Just basically the results I've had over the last 20 years. I started my first online community, 1996, a car club here in the Houston area. Grew to 150 people. Pretty good sized car club. I mean, that was before online car clubs were a thing in 1996. Let's be honest. Like internet was just starting to to get fired off. We were just starting to figure it out. And 
that grew to the next thing I started in 2001, 300,000 members. I duplicated it with another automotive community, grew to 260,000 members, another one that was 100,000 members. So I've got the the the, the skills and, the, and the, the abilities to be that kind of a leader. Now I'm applying it to entrepreneurship because I know that if I can build that large enough audience and be able to serve that many people, it creates leverage on the backside. I think a lot of times people fail by trying to monetize their audience too soon. And I know that I can scale comp- you know, the sizes of my companies based on the, the amount of eyeballs and amount of value that I create to help other people achieve their dreams. So when I have enough, when I get millions of people following the things that I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be worrying about the monetizing later. So it's, it's like build the leverage to create the opportunities because when you can build the actual audience and you're able to influence and give them the results that they want, they're going to have your back. So you, you talked about Gary Vaynerchuk. I mean, he's built an incredible audience without asking for any money for several years just by contributing value and showing that actually loves people and actually cares about them, which I do. I've already ex- exhibited that for 20 years. And then he started to ask for the money about, hey, buy my shoes, buy the wine, buy this book. That's the right way to do it. Yeah. Like I don't I don't I buy Allegary book, you know, I buy his books and I listen to his podcast and I never feel guilty about it. It's like, you know what? This guy's given me so much value and encouraged me. Hell yeah. If he comes out with another book, I'll go buy another book. I'll, maybe not the shoes, not my style, but I'm not OK. I'm OK doing those kind of things. And most people want to get in a hurry and they go, you know what? It's all about the money. And like, how do I get money and how do I do this? And, you know, give an example. I, I launched a very affordable online course back in March of this year. The first mm-hmm. group course that I've had, because it was only one on one coaching before that. So I came out with what I call the 365 Driven Society. And it's basically a membership group, private Facebook group where I have a bunch of video series, about $2,000 worth of videos that I was selling. And I included that as free. And I said, I'm gonna make this really affordable price point because I'm tired of all these people out there selling things for $997. It becomes it becomes a joke of the coaching scene. $997, mm-hmm. like if you buy this, $900. It's like, you know what? I'm gonna make it affordable. I'm gonna call it $365. And that's for an entire year. So I said, okay, you know, a lot of people were going, oh, that's really cheap. Like, you know, you're gonna to have to sell a lot of those to make any money. And that's like, that's kind of a waste of time. All this naysaying stuff, but they don't realize that my superpower is building community and helping people on a massive scale. So I had to believe in my own process. And I said, you know what? I hired some strategy coaches they are like, I don't know if that that's too cheap. People are going to like think it's low value. They're not going to buy it. So they're feeding me with all the stuff, but they don't have the experience that I have. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to just take my own, my own medicine. I'm, I'm going to do this. Guys I made over $60,000 in an entire weekend. The first weekend I profited $60,000 from that low t- price point ticket. And the people in there will tell you like, this is the best group they've ever joined. They're getting a crazy amount of value for a dollar a day. And most people would have been like, oh, that's impossible to do. It's like, no, it's because you're not the right person. You don't have the right mindset to go do that. So realize there's a lot of different ways to go create businesses. So I, I want to beat my old record of 500,000 combined. I want millions of people in my community and it's going to happen. I'm very certain and I know how to scale it. It just takes patience. Value over time and patience will create the results. Mm. I had a, a, a lady on a month or so ago uh, on my LinkedIn live named Anna Oaks, and it was a great conversation. And I said to this or her in closing, and I get the and you definitely feed me the same thing that she does. And it's it, it's okay to say you're great at something, you know, if that kind of makes sense, right? You're yeah. sitting there saying, "Hey, this is what I'm awesome at, George." And I kill it. And there's there's a way to kind of, uh, you know, say that so it's not, you know, puffing your chest up and flexing and all that, but have it be real authentic. Like, you know, the, the lady I was with, Anna Oaks, like she was just like, hey, I'm an expert at this and I'm really good at it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I think you are too, you know? And it's that thing like, hey, I can build communities, George, and I can do this. And, and these are the type of programs I'm putting out and they're really useful and valuable and I'm really good at it. I'm like, yeah, I think you are too. I don't know anything about it, but I believe it, right? And I think I struggle with that sometimes of kind of being that where you're sitting around saying, you know what, I'm good at this. And it's okay if I say it. It's okay that I feel it. And it's okay that I tell you about it. Um, You know, I think there's some things to that. And I definitely, there's a lot to take away from you. How can people find out about that, about that content that you have? Is it just on 365driven.com? Can we find it there? Yeah, you could, that's the easiest way to get there. There's links to everything from that hub of a website, 365driven.com. Okay. Okay. And how, and people can follow you 365 driven on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You're uh, Tony Watley. I'll make sure that right when this is done, I attach you to everything with LinkedIn, my podcast. I'll make sure that all his content is in my show notes. If you want to do this, um, man, and th- those are the best ways for people to track you down. 
That's the only way I keep it simple, man. Easy to remember, right? Short and sweet, hashtag 365 driven. And I'll be happy to answer any questions. I'd love to hear from you. If you got something from this, you know, I do these kind of shows and I do these episodes and stand on stage to really impact one person. I'm not out there trying to be egotistical, trying to think about, you know, how George, how many listeners or how many downloads do you have on your show before I decide to come and talk? Like, that's a bunch of bullshit. Like, don't follow people that do that. I'm trying to impact one person out there and maybe open up their mind, maybe change something about them. So if that's you, yeah. reach out to me. I'd love to hear you. Yeah, I love that. And let me just say this in closing, because I, you know, I, uh, Ed Milet actually posted something a while back, a while back being six weeks ago. And it was something, uh, it was just a picture of him and it said something about thinking bigger and, you know, and dreaming a little bit more, but the phrase was, Hey, think bigger, something like that. And so I, I've reached out, I try to reach out to some, you know, some people that are probably outside my reach to just have a conversation with, to learn from and to record with. And I think that would be great. And it's interesting, the people, the, some of the people I have heard back from it is how many listeners, like I had to answer all these questions, how many listeners, what platform, what question, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. And let me just say this about Tony. I sent him a note about 115 today and said, Tony, haven't talked to you for a while. Would love to record with you again. I'm doing LinkedIn live episodes. He sent me a note at 155 and said, Hey, I can be ready in 15 minutes. Right. It was that easy. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and I know like your, you know, your audience, your content, the people that follow you is growing and your time is valuable. Um, and for you to just kind of say, Hey, George, I'm there. I can be there in 10 minutes. I was like, man. And I told my wife, I was like, that's awesome. Right. And, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that because I know that's who you are. And I know it's authentic. And, um, and that's why you're killing it, man. That's why Thanks, you're man. killing it. I appreciate that. And I, and I do, if I have the time to help anybody, I'm always trying to make time to do that. Yeah. So everybody reach out to him, look for everything on the show notes. And, and Tony, again, um, you know, we can chat here after I end the broadcast, but appreciate you, your message, your content, your impact and, and your friendship through these channels that we have. So, I mean, I really appreciate it. Awesome, dude. I enjoyed it. And, and we're struggling here. Oh, my fault. Thank you.